All right. This morning, I want to talk to you about something, specifically the idea of perspective. Perspective, the reason I want to talk about this is because this is, this is something, whether we realize it or not, our perspective on things, our perspective on life has a lot to do with the way that we live, the way that we see things, the way that we understand things, the slant, the angle that we come at it from kind of colors the way that we interact with our world. And a lot of times when we think of perspective, one of the first things that comes to mind is visual perspective. For instance, the picture you see on the screen right now, looking at this picture, if you didn't know anything about the great pyramids that are in Egypt, you would think that this gentleman who acts like he's holding the top of that pyramid, that that was real, that those things aren't very big, that they're about the height of a man, maybe a little bit smaller, and that we could just pick them up and move them around the the way that this picture makes it look like. But you see, the interesting thing is, if you change your perspective just a little bit, it looks completely different. When you get closer to that pyramid, you actually find out that it is hundreds of feet tall and hundreds of feet wide. And as you can see from that gentleman, just one level of the blocks on that pyramid is almost as tall as he is. That's just one level of those blocks. You see, perspective changes everything. And a lot of times in life, most of us go through our lives and we go through it with one perspective. The way we look at things, the way we see things, we never change the angle or change the view. And that affects the way that we live our life. I experienced this this weekend with my daughter, Michaela. She's two now. And we went home this weekend. My grandfather passed away, so we went for his funeral on Friday. And while we were there, we went to my parents' house and to my in-law's. And you see, my parents, they live basically in the middle of a cow field. There's a fence around their yard, but there's cows everywhere. And every time Michaela looks out the front porch and looks out those doors, she sees the cows. And Michaela gets so excited about the cows. Same thing at my in-laws. My in-laws have horses, and Michaela will stand on the back porch and and say, I want to see the horses. I want to see the horses. I want to go see the horses. So we'll pick her up, and we'll take her out there. And as we're walking towards the horses or towards the cows, Michaela just has this huge grin on her face. And her eyes are so big, and and we're holding her, and she's just excited. I want to go see the horses. And sometimes she'll even start making those animal noises, which I'm not going to repeat for you this morning. And she she can't hardly contain herself because she looks out there, and to her what she sees are these tiny little animals off in the distance. And it's exciting to her. And she calls them baby cows, and she calls them baby horses. But you see, typically with Michaela, when you get about 20 to 30 feet from the fence where those cows and those horses are, something changes for her. Now, her eyes are still as wide as can be, but all of a sudden, that smile is no longer a smile. And the next thing you know, Michaela has turned from facing those cows or facing those horses and being so excited to wrapping herself around the neck of whoever's carrying her And sometimes even burying her head. And she'll start saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And you see, the interesting thing is her excitement about going to see those cows or those horses is just like we saw with this pyramid. When she's a good distance away, they look like baby cows and baby horses. But as she starts to come closer, her perspective changes. And she starts to see those things for what they really are. And as that perspective changes... She doesn't like what she sees anymore. And she goes from being excited to being scared and not wanting to be around those cows and those horses. And you see, just like that two-year-old, like my daughter experiences that change in perspective and sometimes the fear that comes along with that change in perspective, 
I think there's times when we need to have a change in perspective. When it comes to the way that we view life, when it comes to the way that we interact with our world, we come at it from one viewpoint, one background. But there's so many different ways to see things. And a lot of times, I'm sad to say this, even with my Bible, when I pick up the Word of God, I come at it from one perspective. And I think, in reality, a lot of us do. We look at God's Word, and as we pick it up, and as we read it, we expect something to happen. But typically, we expect one thing to happen. For some people, you look for knowledge. You look for facts. What can I understand more about the Bible? What can I learn from this? What can I take away from this and know? For some of us, our perspective is, what can we do? You know, as we look at God's word, what did Jesus do? What are the things that we see him doing, the way he interacts with people and other folks that are in the Bible? What can we look at their lives and learn how to do in our own lives? And some of us, the perspective we have is when we look at scripture, okay, what does this mean for me? What do I need to think about? I don't necessarily need to do anything. I don't necessarily need any more knowledge but I want to ponder this. I want to meditate this. And you see, Scripture tells us that it will do all of these things. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word is alive, and God's word is true. And as we get into God's word, as we start seeking truth, as we start seeking the knowledge, as we start seeking actions, as we start seeking things to meditate on and think about, God's word will give us those things every single time because God's word does not change. It is as true this day as it was the day that the over 40 different authors over 1,500 years penned the word of God through the leading of the Holy Spirit. The truth that those men wrote then is the same truth that God's word has now. What's different is our perspective. You see, we can, read a, we can read a passage of scripture time and time again, and we read it the first time and think, okay, God, I got something out of that. I know what I need to know now. I know what I need to do. And then we go back and read that same passage of scripture, and it's like, okay, God, I already read that one. And read it again. God... I'm still not getting anything out of this one. Can't you show me something new? But you see, we haven't changed our perspective. We haven't come at it from a different angle. So that's what I want to do this morning. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But we're not just going to read it one time. I want to look at this from different perspectives. We're going to look at it from the idea of that there are things from this passage that we can know. There are things from this passage that we can do, and there are things from this passage that we need to think about. Because often we approach Scripture from one of these three things, if not a different type of perspective. But the truth is, we need to approach Scripture from all of these perspectives. It's not about knowledge. It's not just about action. It's not just about thinking. It is about all of it. It is about taking every thought captive to Christ as we interact with our world. And this passage is one that that, that many of you are probably familiar with in Mark chapter 2. It's a miracle of Jesus. 
So we're just going to jump right into it. The first thing that we can look at, the first perspective we can see is for knowledge. What are three things from this passage that we can know about God and about who he is and what he does? Let's read in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. You see, the first thing I kind of breezed over there, but the first thing we're going to see here about what we can know about God's word, about this passage, is that barriers can be broken. You see, what's happening here is Jesus has been preaching. He's been traveling throughout Galilee, and he's been teaching and preaching and doing different miracles, and now he's come back to to a home base of sorts. This isn't his house, but tradition and, and historical study would tell us this was probably the house of Peter and Andrew. And if you research this and look at the way houses were constructed during that time, this wasn't a very big house. In fact, it was probably a small square building that held maybe about 50 people. And the way this was constructed, uh, and particularly interest of this story, is on these roofs of these houses, this wasn't a solid plywood, shingle, tile, whatever type of roof you may have on your house. This was a house that was constructed of wood beams, And the roof would have thatch, branches, mud, different materials like that that would simply protect these individuals from the weather. And as we look at this story, we're going to see that that roof plays a key role in what's going on here. So Jesus has come to this house, and people have heard he's in town. So they start showing up. And just like when a crowd shows up, Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to them. He takes the opportunity to preach to them, to teach them. And this is where things start happening in this story. In verse 3, look at what happens. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, we've got this man who can't move. He's paralyzed. He's on a mat. And he's got friends who bring him to see Jesus. And when they get to the house, they face a problem. There are so many people outside. There are so many people inside that they can't get him to the door to get him inside to see who Jesus Christ is. So they get creative. They look at this problem. They look at this situation. And all of a sudden, they take a different perspective. And when they do that, they decide that they're going to take this man up on the roof. Now, these houses, to get on the roof, typically they would have a staircase on the outside so that you could work on the roof, so that you could do whatever you needed to do up there. So what they did is they took this man up the staircase, carried him on this mat that he was laying on, set him down on the roof, and they begin to dig. And they begin to break their way through this roof. And as they do that, you know the people inside who are sitting there so into what Jesus is saying They have to start getting distracted just a little bit because little bits of clay start falling on their head or little sticks start hitting them on the shoulders. And all of a sudden, their perspective starts to change on what's going on in this situation. But you see, these men, what they've done is when they come up and they see this house and they see Jesus Christ, they see a barrier. They see a problem. And instead of doing what a lot of times I'm embarrassed to say I do when I see a barrier and get discouraged and decide that it's not going to happen, they change their perspective. 
and they get creative. And they go up on a roof and they look at this obstacle and they decide that they're going to break through this barrier. They are not going to let what is standing in their way stop them from what they know they need to do that day. They need their friend to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and they will not let the barrier stop them. You see, the world we live in, we live in a world that throws all kinds of negativity our way. And that's true for every single individual in this world. There are people in your life who will tell you, no, you can't do that. No, you shouldn't do this. No, no, I don't really think that's possible. And every single one of those are barriers. And every time we hear those statements, that barrier, that statement becomes a wall. It becomes a barrier to what we know God has called us to do, to what we know Jesus Christ would have us do as ones that say we follow him. And those opinions, they build up, and that wall gets stronger, and that wall gets bigger, and we feel like we're trapped. And some of you, you came in this room today, and the barrier you're facing right now is one of indecision. You're facing something in your life, and you just, you don't know what to do about it. You're overwhelmed by the options, and you don't know what you're going to do. Your barrier is indecision. For some of us, it's a barrier of fear. We're scared. We don't know what the future holds. We're afraid to change. We're afraid to step out on faith and follow God with where he's calling us and what he wants us to do. And we would rather stay right here in our room behind these walls and these barriers and not do anything. For some of you, it's a barrier of apathy. You've been a Christian for a long time. You know the verses, you know the songs, and that's where it stops. You haven't done anything that God has called you to do in a long time. I fall into that camp myself sometimes. Every single one of us faces barriers. But God's word shows us that those barriers can be broken. That we are not trapped by those fears, by those voices, by those things in our lives that will tell us you can't when God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Barriers can be broken. That's the first thing that we can know from this passage. Don't let barriers be opportunities for fear and seen as failure. Let them be opportunities to be creative and to see how God can work and use you to do things that you never thought you would do. That's the first one we can know. The second one is this. Faith matters. From this passage, we can look at what happens and we can see that our faith, what we have faith in, matters in our lives. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, what you believe actually matters. Every single one of us, we believe in something. When we come here on Wednesdays or we come here on Sundays, we talk about the fact that we believe in God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and his power and his glory and his mercy and his forgiveness. And we say we believe that. But you see, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or not, you believe in something. Every single one of you is sitting in a pew right now. You are expressing the belief that that pew is going to hold you up. You didn't know we could have come in here and taken the bolts out of it this morning. You have no idea. See, your faith, your belief led you to do something. 
And as we see right here, the faith of these men, the faith of this paralytic, it matters. You see, I get this question sometimes. People ask me, what is faith? And yes, we, we have the verse in Scripture that talks about faith and how it's the hope and how it's, you know, the assurance of things unseen. And that's true. But that faith and that hope and that belief is something that should move us to action. Because that's what happened in this story. These men, because of what they believed about the person of Jesus Christ, because of what they believed about who he was and what he could do, they had faith, and that faith led them to move and pick up their friend's mat and take him on a roof and dig a hole to get him in front of Jesus Christ. See, as I said, you have faith that these pews will hold you up. I guarantee you, this man in the story who owned this house, he probably had faith that nobody was going to put a hole in his roof that morning. But you see, faith matters. Faith moves us to action. And what you believe, what you put your faith in, determines what you do. It determines how you spend your money. It determines how we spend our time. It determines the kind of people we allow to be a part of our life and to influence us. Every single one of those things, every aspect of who we are and how we interact with our world goes back to some type of belief that we have, some type of faith that we have, whether it's in God or whether it's in us and our own abilities. The faith of this paralytic and the men that were his friends moved them to action. Our faith is important. It matters because it is what should drive us to do what we do every single minute of every single day. So that's the second thing we can know from this count. Here's the third one. Seems simple, but I don't want to miss it. Jesus is God. We can know from this account, from this story of this man being healed, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Look at what happens in verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned with themselves, within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, a lot of people will say a lot of things about who Jesus Christ was and is. He was a great man. He was a healer. He was a prophet. One of a hundred different things. But when we look at Scripture, the Bible is unapologetic about the fact that Jesus Christ is God. You can't open the Word of God and deny that. You can't read through the pages Old Testament and New Testament and see that Jesus Christ isn't the Son of God because he is. And his power is written all over this book and all over this story. Take an example. When you read this story, when you see what's going on here, Jesus talks to the leaders, the religious Pharisees, the Sadducees that are there. 
And it says they begin to question what he has said to this man about your sins are forgiven. But it doesn't say they ask the question out loud. It says they question him in their hearts. And Jesus knew it. You see, Scripture tells us that God is the one that knows the depths of our heart. He is the one that knows those deepest, darkest places. He is the one that knows every single thing about us because he is the one that made us. And Jesus knows these men. He knows what they're thinking. And perceiving what they're thinking, he responds to them and says, I can forgive him. Only God can forgive sins, right? Jesus says, I'm forgiving sins too. I've taken what he's done. I've taken the sins in his life and I've wiped that slate clean. And I can do that because I'm God. That is the power that we see of Jesus Christ right here, that he has the knowledge and he has the authority that God has because he is God. It's a simple point. It's a repetitive point. But sometimes I think we forget that when we're living our everyday life. That Jesus is God and Jesus has the power to defeat sin and defeat death. Because that's who he is. So that's three things to know. Now let's change our perspective a little bit. Because I have a habit of reading the Bible for knowledge. I want to know what it says. But as I stated a few minutes ago, that knowledge should lead us to action. It should lead us to do something. It should change the way we interact with people every single day because of what we know about God should change the way we express God to other people. So what are three things to do from this passage? Same verses. The first one is this. Help others. We're called to help other people. Let's read it again. Mark 2, verses 1 through 4. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These friends were dedicated. They had to be. Wouldn't you like to have friends like this? Friends who are going to come and take care of you at the drop of the hat? Friends who are going to be there for you no matter what's going on in your life? I mean, to be honest, a lot of times I'd much rather be helped than help. But you see, when we look at this scripture, it tells us we need to help others. We can look at these friends, we can look at what they have done, and we can see that their priority that day, if not any other day, was to help their friend. Every single one of us in this room, we have been gifted by God with some kind of talent, some kind of ability, some type of blessing he has put in our life. And he has given us that so that we can use that to glorify him and help other people. To use the things that God has blessed us with to help. You see, there's so many people in this account that didn't do anything. You've got the crowd. As these men walk up, we don't see anything in Scripture about the crowd parting and making way for them. We don't see anything about the folks that are inside maybe sitting down, listening at the feet of Jesus, getting up and moving out of the way. It doesn't happen. We don't see anything about the religious leader saying, hey, hey, guys, y'all, y'all need to clear space. 
let them through. Let them, let them get to Jesus. We want to see what Jesus can do here. Not that they would have had the right motives, but they still could have helped. So many different people in this account do nothing. But then we see this group of men, these friends, that have taken their, their friend who can't move, friends whose faith in who Jesus Christ is. Scripture doesn't tell us they had ever met Jesus Scripture doesn't tell us they, they had ever encountered him or seen him do a miracle or anything along those lines. It doesn't tell us that he's ever forgiven them of their sins. But they had faith in this man who claimed to be God. They had faith in what they had maybe heard he had done. And their faith was so strong that that belief moved them to action. And they picked up their friend and they carried him to Jesus Christ. And that's what God calls every single one of us to do, to help others. Not because we're looking for something in return, but because God's gifted us. Because God has blessed us, and he wants us to turn around and show that same blessing and that same love to other people. So my question on that one is, whose mat are you carrying today? Whose friend are you being? Who are you doing anything it takes to get in front of Jesus Christ. And the great thing about this is we can wake up in the morning tomorrow and say, you know what? I'm going to help others today. Not because of what I'm going to get out of it, but because Jesus Christ wants to know people. And the people I know know, need to know Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we can know to do from this passage. The second thing is this. Trust God. Let's read it again in Mark verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins alone but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. There is trust in God all over this passage. The friends that trusted that Jesus could do something. Again, the man that trusted nobody was going to dig a hole through his roof. You see, we see trust over and over and over But trust can be a hard thing for us sometimes because trust requires us to step outside of ourselves. Our natural tendency, my natural tendency, is that when I face an obstacle, when I know I need to get something done, is not to necessarily trust God, but to trust what I can do and to trust the people I know, my friends, my family. But you see, that's not what God calls us to. God tells us to trust him. Because when we rely on ourselves and we rely on our friends and we rely on our family or anybody else, at some point we're going to be let down. But never with God. Never will our trust be misplaced in who God is and the promises that God has made. That trust is essential to our faith. Where we have faith and that faith moves us to action, we can't have faith without trusting And I've known people who would say, you know what, I would trust God. 
I would put my faith in God beyond a shadow of a doubt if he would just show up, if I could see him, if he would do like the Old Testament and be a pillar of fire by night or a pillar of cloud by day, if God would be here physically and tell me that everything's going to be okay, I would put my trust in him. But God doesn't work that way a lot of the times. Instead, God says, no, you've got to have faith. You've got to trust me. I want you to step out. And when you show me that you're depending on me 100%, then I'm going to show you things you never imagined. That's why it's important to trust God. Because when we trust God, (laughs) you get to see God. And you get to see him do things. And you get to see him work. And whether or not we trust God, that's a choice we all have to make. If you say, you know what, I'm not ready to trust God, well, then you've made the decision not to trust him. But we make that choice, and we have to understand that we make that choice. Trust God is something that is unbelievably important. We can trust in his promise to provide for us. We can trust him to comfort us, to take care of us, to love us, to forgive us, the same way he does for this man. That's the second thing we can do. The third thing is this, praise God. We get to praise God. Look at verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified, saying, we never saw anything like this. Praise is a word that we use in church a lot. But I think it's something that we have a hard time doing. You see, because praise has required trust. A lot of times we face a situation and, and we see things going on and, and we want to we take that step and we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this, but then we forget the other side of trust. We forget that when God shows up, when God does something incredible in our life, when God does something that we could never do on our own, that we need to praise him. We need to thank him for who he is. We need to thank him for what he's done. When he takes care of us, this passage says they were amazed. Think about that. When is the last time you were amazed by God? When is the last time you stood in awe of God, of who he is and what he has done in your life? It says they were amazed. And to be amazed, you can't help but praise God. Because when he works We get to see that he is God. And we get to see his power and his authority and his knowledge and his love for who we are, each and every single individual in this room. What are the things that amaze you? What impresses you? A lot of us would say, hey, it's that really cool video I saw on YouTube last week. That's great. But is that the same as being amazed by God? When's the last time you were in awe of who God is because when you are amazed by him you can't help but praise him for who he is just stop and say thank you spend a few minutes talking to God and thanking him for the very fact that you were able to sit here and breathe this morning and hear his word and be in his word and sing to him that's what praise is thankfulness That's the third thing we can do. 
So we've got two, two perspectives. Things we can know about God, things we can do from this account when we're following God. And the last one is this. Three things that we can think about. The reason this is important is because it's important for us to think as Christians. A lot of people have the belief that when you walk into the doors of a church, you're supposed to check your brain at the door. That you're supposed to read it, read God's word, take what the pastor says for granted, take notes maybe, and then that's the end of it. But you see, that's not supposed to be the end of it. Christianity is a religion, it's a faith, it's a relationship that requires our brains. It requires us to think about who God is, what his word says, what his word means for our lives, what the implications are for our world. Christians, we ought to be the smartest people in the world because we spent the most time thinking about the word of God, contemplating it. So what are three things that we need to think about from this passage? Well, the first one is this. What if you couldn't move your arms and legs? What if right now, for the rest of your life, you were in the same situation as this man? That you had to rely on friends, that you had to rely on family to take care of you because you couldn't do it anymore. You couldn't walk, you couldn't run, you couldn't comb your hair, you couldn't brush your teeth, you couldn't change the TV channel. I know that last one's really important to a lot of people. But what if you couldn't do that? What if you found yourself in this situation? See, my grandfather, I mentioned before, went home from my grandfather's funeral. He passed away this past week. But several years ago, as his health started to go downhill, he had some problems, and the doctors ended up having to amputate one of his legs. And this man that I saw as a strong farmer for most of my life, all of a sudden, couldn't get around by himself anymore. He couldn't get himself out of bed. He couldn't dress himself anymore. And I know, without a doubt in my mind, how hard that was for him and how hard it was to even watch him. Imagine if that was the case. Even just one limb, much less, couldn't use all four. You see, the reason, the reason I want you to imagine that is because these men carried him to Jesus Christ. Think about what that would have been like as you're walking through the city. Excuse me. As you're being carried through the city and people are looking at you and people are wondering what happened to him. I wonder what's going on there. Why are they carrying him? And then they get there and he can't get in so they take him up to the roof and now you're being carried by four friends up onto a roof If you've ever tried to carry anything over 50 pounds upstairs, I can tell you right now, it's awkward. Much less a person on a mat being carried by four individuals. He's kind of a spectacle at this point. And then as he's laying on the roof and his friends, they dig the hole, they start lowering him down through that hole. You know every eye in that room was on him. Wondering, who who does this guy think he is? What does he think he's doing? And as he gets there and he's laying on this mat before Jesus Christ and his friends have told him, hey, you got you to come see this guy, Jesus. This guy, Jesus, he, he can heal you. We're going to get you in front of him and he's going to take care of you. Imagine what's going through his head. What would be going through your head? Is this real? 
Is everything am I experiencing right now, is this worth it? Am I really going to be able to get up and walk out of this room and do what I've dreamt of doing to be able to walk and to run and to move my arms and to take care of myself? Imagine going through that. And then he gets there and Jesus looks at him and everyone else is looking at him. And Jesus looks at you in that situation and says, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he was expecting. That's probably not what he was looking for that day. He was looking for a physical healing. But you see, (laughs) just a few moments later, that's what he gets. Jesus says, get up and walk and imagine how your life would change. Something you've never been able to do Now you can do something you've seen your friends do growing up. Something you've seen people around you do your entire life. All of a sudden now you have that ability. What if you were in this situation? What if you couldn't move your arms and legs? Would you be able to trust God? Would you be able to praise God? Something to think about. The second reason I want to mention that one question is this. Be thankful, because for the most part, everybody walked in this room under their own power this morning. Your arms and your legs are working fine. People don't have to carry you places, and people don't have to take care of you 24 hours, seven days a week. We have so much to be thankful for if we'll stop and think about what God's done in our life. How about this next question? What's the biggest problem you face? In your life right now, looking through this passage, this guy thought that the biggest problem he faced was the fact that he couldn't walk, the fact that people had to carry him around. We've talked a lot about barriers that can be broken. We've talked about trusting God and how that can happen. But what's the biggest barrier in your life right now? What is the biggest thing you're facing that is causing you a problem? Don't you think the paralytic knew what it was? To him, his biggest problem was he couldn't walk. He couldn't move his arms. Whatever that problem is, I want to encourage you. Don't let that problem stop you from coming before God. Don't let that problem trap you behind those walls and those barriers and keep you from praising God for who he is, even in the midst of those problems. Whatever your problem is, whatever that barrier is that's in your life, God can do something about it. May not be in the way that you want him to. May not be in the way that you would hope he would. But he can, and he will do something. And here's the last question. Something I desperately want you to think about. What if the problem you thought was your biggest problem wasn't? What if what you're going through right now, what if the issues you're dealing with at work or what's going on at home or school or whatever the situation may be, what if that problem that is consuming all of you really isn't your biggest problem at all? That's what happened here. This paralyzed man is lowered into the room with everyone watching. He is a spectacle on this mat for everybody to see. And Jesus looks at him and says, I forgive you of your sins. I can guarantee you that wasn't the problem he was thinking about when he got in front of Jesus. 
The biggest problem he thought he had was the physical issue going on in his life. But what he really needed first was a spiritual healing before he got that physical healing. What if the problem you face right now, the problem that's in your mind right now, the thing that you're thinking about, what if that is not your biggest problem? What if you could see your life from God's perspective? What if you could change the way you're looking at it and see things the way God sees things? I'm willing to bet nine times out of ten, that physical problem, as real as it is, and as necessary as it is to deal with, may not necessarily be our biggest problem. Because you see, when we get so focused on the issues, when we get so focused on the things that are going on in our life, we don't need just that physical healing. We need spiritual healing. This man's biggest problem, the biggest thing going on in his life was not what he thought it was. What it was was sin. And that's a problem every single one of us has. Every single one of us. If you walked in the doors this morning, if you woke up, if you took a breath, you and I have a sin problem. Because we are born separated from God because of our sin. The things that we do every single day that says, I'm number one, God is not. The choices we make, the little white lies that we tell, the thoughts that we have that we hope nobody ever finds out about, that's sin. And every single one of us does it. And that day and this day, that is the biggest problem that every single one of us has. And that is why Jesus Christ came. He came because you and I can't fix that problem. Try as we might, do all the good things we can, memorize as many verses as possible, know all the words to the latest praise songs on 88.1 or 91.9 or whatever station you listen to. It's not going to fix that sin problem. Jesus Christ is the only one who can. And my question to you this morning is, are you willing to let him do that in your life?